Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today is a modified version of the regular panel. Uh, first, we welcome my colleague over at PC Games N, Fraser Brown. Fraser, welcome to the show. Hello, pleasure to be here as always. We also welcome back our elite irregular panelist, Bruce Garrick. Hello, gamers. That was an, that was an extra creepy one, Bruce. You're, you're in fine form today. I can tell Thank this is going to be a good show. Well, it's the subject matter it kind of brings it out in me. And we also welcome, uh, after a bit of a hiatus, our buddy Julian Murdoch. I'm not going to be creepy at all. Not more than usual. Just normal bald guy creepy. Yeah. You let the game do it for you. Exactly. So today we're going to be talking about Fail Better Games' uh, Sunless Sea, a naval roguelike adventure set in the world of Fallen London, which is their text adventure of, of the same name. Uh, we've all been playing it quite a bit these last few weeks, and if you've played Sunless Sea at all, you'll even find a bit of a monument to Dr. Garrick, uh, a particularly hideous little island called Garrick's Scalpel. Uh, so I hope you guys don't have to go there. I, I like Troy's comment about it, that it was filled with gorillas and panzers. Uh, ironically, I have foundered off the coast of huh. uh, Garrick's Scalpel twice. Like, Interesting. Y- you, you are my albatross, Bruce. That's good, yes. I, yeah, and I'm glad that I'm... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, so, you know, as, as, we, as we dive into this, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about, about what the game is and what exactly, like, Fallen London and the Untersee are. Um, Fraser, why don't, you, why don't you tell us a little bit about what, what, how this game works and uh, a little bit about the Fallen London text adventure. So I guess at its core, it's still a text adventure. Fallen London's a browser game, uh, a, a wonderful one, where you're basically playing through stories. Um, there are skills and there are items that you can collect, but most of it is just kind of muddling your way through these very detailed, very weird tale-esque uh, storylines. And then... Um, suddenly sea just pushes that out into the ocean, which this the, the Untersee, which is a gargantuan cavernous sea uh, that's always very dark and very spooky, filled with elder gods and monstrous bats and giant battle-scarred crustaceans. Um, but at its heart, it's still just, it, it's a text-based adventure game, really, where you are just you're sailing from port to port and the moment you get into a port, a menu comes up and you have these like hyperlinked little stories that you can embark upon or you can do a spot of trade it's it i guess it's many games kind of rolled into one because there are rpg elements there's i guess a hint of strategy or, or tactics in the in the combat but not much it's it's quite kind of small scale um but you know it, it's just this kind of smorgasbord of weird things but all wrapped up in this this great weird tale text adventure that you would imagine reading in some sort of weird Lovecraft pulpy thing. Um, but with a hint of, I guess, like, there's kind of Neil Gaiman in there, Terry Pratchett. It all I, seems I was going to gonna be an, say, it feels very Neil Gaiman to me. Yeah, all the really dreamlike does. stuff and the kind of the love of words as well. Um, it, it's a game for people who love words and bizarre stories. Yeah, as I, as I was reviewing it, I definitely felt like... If there were ever a game that was going to be pitched a certain subset of like game critics, like this is it. Like the, the like if you're someone who works with words, I think this is a game that's sort of impossible not to love, at least on on some level. Uh, there is a delight in language, uh, both in this and Fallen London, and it is just one of the most uh, evocatively 
uh, described worlds uh, th- that I've seen in a video game. It's a, it's an incredibly vivid world, uh, which is impressive considering that the presentation in Sunless Sea, I think, is is really simple. Uh, you know, most of what you're doing is, like you said, Fraser, you're reading these little snippets of adventure and then clicking on a little button to see, you know, which uh, choose your own adventure option uh, you decide you decide to go for, and then the other the the rest of the game is you're sailing across a, an enormous 2D map on, on your tiny little steamship. And uh, most of the time you're looking at kind of just the darkened waters of the Untersee. Uh, but what art there is, what landmarks there are that you find, uh, I, I find that they're, 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 really quite, they're really quite captivating. And uh, it, it's, it's a world that always feels sort of menacing and exciting. And I always feel like I'm discovering new things as I sail around in it. Yeah, I think one of the challenges with the game is that it is it is kind of at its heart a roguelike. Um, uh, you know, it, you you're not expected to survive particularly long, um, and so you sort of have a captain. You go out to sea. You have various skills. You have a ship that you're outfitting. It sort of has some satisfying RPG elements like that, um, and that's where most of the strategy bits come in. You know, how you outfit your ship, what kind of things you try to do, um, but but ultimately. Um, you're expected to die and, and it is a difficult game and often you're dying in, in weird and horrific ways. You know, you run out of food and you end up eating your crew or you run out of fuel and you just sort of get abandoned in the middle of the ocean. Um, occasionally you'll get eaten by a sea monster um, and and you may or may not be able to leave something to your successor. Uh, and so it has that uh, somewhat futile feeling that most roguelikes do, but I think it plays it to good effect. Uh, which which is really interesting. Um, there there is the model the uh, the merciful mode right though where you can save wherever you want. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, but but the the baseline they even tell you like the way to play this game is not to do that because <laughs> you know, progression is progressions very much feel set up about having like a, a dynasty you know going through multiple characters because you can even have a child um, and then when you die that child takes over it's the new captain. Um, mechanically, all that means is that when you choose your new captain, you can choose two backgrounds. Backgrounds basically give you perks. So if you you choose like um, I think there's like a military uh, background you can choose for your new captain, where you get more iron, which is one of the stats, which means you do more damage. Or you get like I think you get to keep one of the old ship's weapons if yeah. you choose like an old soldier. Um, and you can choose like a, a correspondent, which means that you get, and this is possibly one of the biggest ones, you get the map of the previous captain. So you can already plot out where you need to go to progress the story a little bit more quickly this time, or make a little bit more money, because you already have all of the, the ports just you know right there, you know how to get to them. And, and I think one of the most interesting systems is the, the terror system. Um, you know, the whole idea that uh, sort of any amount of adventuring is inevitably going to drive you insane, which is sort of where it gets slightly Lovecraftian. You know, if you're just, if you can literally just get all the fuel you want and just wander around in the ocean and you'll go insane. Your crew will actually just go absolutely bat crap crazy eventually from the sheer terror of being out in the open dark sea. Uh, and you accumulate more terror from stories. Um, and the only way to get rid of it, I mean, really is, is sort of, you know, back at home port, uh, you can you can sort of go drinking and things like that that will will start to alleviate some of it. But the story elements, I think, are actually the most interesting and strategic ones. Um, it does have this text adventure quality. It reminds me a lot of Kingdom of Dragon or King of Dragon Pass, 
uh, in the sense that the story does seem to revolve around you and, and, and the world seems to live around you and the choices that you're making seem to have a real impact on that world, even though it's being done in little blocks of text. Um, and, and that's the most intriguing part. I find myself actually torn sometimes between um, sort of wanting to experience more story and the sort of punishing difficulty of some of the game. I mean, and, and it does seem to be somewhat random. You can really end up with a setup that's pretty darn impossible. Yeah, I um so we're both playing here here in my house. Uh and MK actually after one particularly successful captain died at sea, uh she she was like the hell with that. I'm I'm turning on merciful mode because I'm actually here for the story. I'm I'm not that I'm not that into the whole roguelike repeat yourself thing. I just want to see what else is out there and I want to feel free to explore. So she turned on merciful mode. Um I still like that sort of uh you know, uh, frisson of danger, as it were, uh, as as you're as you're sort of sailing, as you're trying to make it home on your last dregs of fuel and your last supplies, and your crews sort of looking at each other and it's doing that cartoon thing where they see the you know they they look at each other and they see like the hot dog and the, and the cheeseburger. Uh, there's I, I I enjoy that I enjoy cutting it close and I enjoy how tense this game can get when you when you're sort of right on the edge. But I say that when I've been sort of nursing a captain along for like. Uh, probably two or three weeks now. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm having a really really good run, and I know I know that when when this dude eats it, um, I'm probably going to be blood boiling furious for a while, and I'm not sure I am not sure how I'm going to feel about repeating a lot of the things I've done because if if there's one thing that I, roguelikes are generally not my thing, and Especially something like this, where so much of it is story driven, and it's about seeing so many of these these cool little vignettes, um, being kicked back to the start, and having to repeat like go to all the same ports, unlock the same options I had before, uh, go through some of the same quest lines before. Uh, the, the idea of repeating that doesn't necessarily appeal, even though it gets much faster each time. Uh, I, I still I still find myself like. A little bored when I'm going back to say Hunter's Keep uh, for the umpteenth time because I've died like uh, because it's one of the early locations so you visit it like a million times. Well, I just think that they uh, it's very smart that they put the um, the merciful mode in there and I, I think that the the those two kind of elements of the game. I mean, I know you you like uh, you like your danger. I do as well, but I mean, I really like these guys setting and I want to experience the setting. And the problem with setting is that um, the more you experience it, the the kind of more stale it gets. So you know you're always looking for new things, and you know sort of to to take it to the you know the extremes of your exploration, and uh, it, that doesn't really work that well when you're kind of repeating things. So I I really like the fact that um, I, I haven't played on merciful mode yet, but then I haven't died yet. Um, but that's probably because I haven't played enough. I've been playing a couple of weeks and I haven't. Uh, haven't lost a captain, so at some point I probably will go to uh, merciful mode. Um, but the thing about it is that it's this is more. I mean, this is really more than a roguelike, and I think that's uh, you know yes, it has that roguelike gameplay, but the writing just takes it to some other level that um, uh, I think it kind of has to be considered as as a different kind of a different kind of game. And for, for that reason, um, I'll I'll take some of the quirks to get what I really love about the game, which is the setting and the story. So I felt that the, the roguelike elements actually improved things for me. Uh, see, my, the, the first captains I had, the ones that I expected to die, they were just going far and wide, kind of finding new little strands and threads of stories and saying, oh, I, you know, I don't have enough veils to do this story or, you know, whatever, and I'll, I'll kind of mark that down to come back later. 
and then die. And then when I, it comes to making the new character, I might be like, well, there's this storyline that I find really fascinating, but I needed more of this, uh, you know, higher veil quality. So I'll make this character focused on, on that. And so I'll be able to kind of follow this storyline and actually really focus on that. So I kind of, in the end, I focus on different things with different characters. I might get involved in more combat or my goal might be to be very wealthy. Um, or there's particular entertaining storylines, like there's an island where rats and guinea pigs are fighting over My domination. My absolute favorite part mm -hmm. of the game, and you it's nailed it right off the story. bat. <laughs> it's a brilliant story. And the first, I think it was my second captain who discovered that island in, it, um, in my map, because the map um, changes. It's like you will get a very similar map, but like if you're playing a continuous uh, lineage, then it will be the same map. But you start a new game... The islands move around a bit. Well, this island was very far away, and my my, my second captain died trying to come back from it. Um, but the I, I think it was I think it was Vales was the the um, the stuff that I didn't have enough of the uh, um, the stat. Um, so the new captain that I made much higher in that. I kind of focused on on storylines that would give me more of that, and then I went and and enjoyed the the full storyline quite early on. Um, and I, I wouldn't have been able to do that as quickly if I'd stuck with my old captain. So I think there are definite benefits, but I think it is it really does depend on how you play the game. And if it is just wanting to experience all the story above above all else, um, I think that Merciful Mode is, is a massive boon. Yeah, that's interesting the way you described it, because, um, you know, it, it, if I were playing it that way, I would almost feel like I were, uh, and this is not to criticize your way of playing, I'm just saying that we think about it very differently, is that uh, I would almost be feeling, like, oh, I'm giving myself a spoiler about what's over on that island. Mm. Um, but you're playing it more like, and interestingly, more like a strategy game where you're, you're thinking, okay, I'm kind of feeling the game out. Uh, here's this thing I want to try. So I'm going to try to sort of tune myself to that particular, um, you know, that particular angle or that, that branch of the story because because I want to see it. And then in the same way where you play a strategy game where you want to figure out how the game works so you can sort of do different things. Um, that, that's very interesting. And yeah, I can see how the um, the roguelike there would sort of, uh, would would frame that whole thing as a strategy game. Well, yeah. And, and I, I found that this, I mean, I'm, I, I've been playing a little recklessly and so I'm on my, I don't know, fifth captain or something like that. And I haven't just, I just haven't worried too much about dying because I've been thinking about it as a roguelike. And I find that each time I go in and I get a different background and I choose a different uh, sort of life goal um, and I maybe meet a different person off the docks the first time through, I'm finding it actually pretty different each time through. Yeah, I have some sense of stories when I get to certain places, um, but it's leading me in pretty different places. And I found a few of those places I go back, I get a totally different story with a different character. Um, or the different captain. So it's not as rote as I thought it was going to be, to be honest. There's also the, because um, when you kind of get to fall in London in the beginning, um, you kind of choose your sort of almost like a life goal. So like you want to get rich or you want to create this fantastic piece of literature or you want to find your father's bones. He was lost at sea and you want to recover them. Um, and if you choose like the father's bones life goal, then that quest starts right at the beginning and it gives you a goal to go off to some far fun, yeah. fun place yeah. to investigate. Now, if you'd chosen to become rich as hell, then that's not a storyline you'll ever see. And certainly th this happens at the beginning, directing your course. Um, so it creates very different playthroughs depending on that as well. Yeah, exactly. So I think there are a lot of options. Yeah, and the world is so weird 
uh, you know, and it, and it is it has the sort of it reminds me of nothing as much as Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman, um, yes. where which is both you know this under London, under city of London idea. Um, so it's obviously got a direct parallel, but also just the the weirdness of it. I mean, the idea that people don't really die; they just go off somewhere to stop being, and you you can actually move people around, and they're sort of walking dead, if you will. Um, there's all sorts of strange little corners of this world that are just fascinating to poke around in. Um, and it's all just conveyed mostly through the writing and a little bit through the art style, but even the art style is a little inconsistent. It's mostly through the writing. There's a lot of, of like uh, the tomb colonists are, are the, the kind of the wrapped up mummy people that you mentioned are, are fantastic and going and finding that port. I think it's vendor bite or something. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's this like weird lonely place where like people only talk in whispers, um, and though you're not really exploring that city in any way other than through text, you get this real like you get a real sense of the place, um, an understanding of of how these different ports work, um, and how different they are to each other, but also how they relate to each other, the relationship they have, whether that's like trade or or. or you know, even tourism. There are tomb colonist tourists that you can actually uh, ship around uh, for a little bit of money. All these little different hotspots uh, that they want to visit, despite the fact that they're basically dead men walking. Um, it's very, very strange. So I wanted to actually. So we talked about a couple, a couple islands. I'm just curious, like, uh, what are some, what are, what are some vignettes or locations that, that have that have really stood stood out for you? Without getting into too much detail, but like this is a very deep game. Like you're talking about one quest isn't going to spoil the entire game by any by any means. Uh, I, I'm just curious, like what what are some places besides Pigmoat Island uh, where you got the civil war between the guinea pigs and the, and the rats? Uh, what are some other places that uh, or some really creepy things that have happened to you? Because uh, just playing around today, uh, I, I I encountered a few things that were really startling. There's the um the frozen citadel. I can't remember the name. It Frostbound. might even be Frostbound is just stunning. This like ice kind of it's almost like an ice sculpture of this huge fortress or a palace really that just swallows up your ship. And and you go there and you think that this you're the first person that's ever found this place. Surely it's so weird and so alien. But you get there, and there are a bunch of people just chilling out there, and they're like, we don't see a lot of your kind around here. And they give you <laughs> fuel and food, and they're totally nonchalant about it. And you're like, all right then, I guess, see, see you around. And you're like, well, I thought I'd be the first to find this place. It's just, it's very kind of mundane things happening in bizarre places. I really like that. But also, I mean, it was just beautiful as well. It's, I think it's maybe the most striking uh, area in the game. Although yeah. the Dawn Machine is also, Christ, that's beautiful as well and kind of intimidating. I'm I'm really reluctant to... I, I feel like this game is is just totally you can't go after the spoilers on this one. I mean, mm. you know, it's th some things are close enough that you're going to discover them early enough. Tom Collins and Vendor Blight, I, or Bright, Vendor Bright? I think it's Vendor Bright. It's Vendor Bite. I don't think Bite. there's an... Uh, okay. Yeah, I think B-I-G-H-T. Um, Ah, uh, like the bite of a yeah, like um, like an island, yeah, or like Helgoland bite, yeah. Um, that that I I really am reluctant to to dig in too much. I mean, there is um, there's one of the quests that I died on where there's sort of a mysterious dude that's trying to get you to run missions for him from fallen London. Yeah, um, I died and, doing that too. 
Yeah, and I actually found the text of the fail state from that to be really odd and creepy and awesome and unexpected because I was just going to be I just expected it to be like, oh, oh, well, you're dead. And you can survive and, that as well. You can. you can survive confrontations with him, which is quite cool. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of randomness in this, right? I mean, it'll tell you, like, if you're about to do something, it'll say, this is super chancy, you have no chance of doing it. <laughs> but or, you can still is, totally you, do it. <laughs> you can still totally try, which I love. I mean, it has that sort of... The way, uh, I'd, the way I'd put it, almost, is this is very much a game, and Fallen London's a bit the same way, this is very much a game about sort of stacking the deck in your favor. You know what I mean? Like, you can... Until, unless you've sort of maxed out the relevant stat and the 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 quest is is trivial for you... The best you can do is sort of give yourself slightly better odds for success and maybe put yourself in a position where you're better able to absorb a failure. You know, like certain failures when you're out at sea are going to consume a lot of supplies. So you do really do you really want to like, you know, roll the dice on this thing where you have a sixty-seven percent chance of doing it, but if you fail, you've given up five supplies for nothing. Or maybe you've lost some crew. And so how much of a cushion do you have in terms of food? How much of a cushion do you have in terms of in terms of crew? As you get more ambitious with, with your routes, as you try to hit more ports and do more things on, on one run, uh, the more I the more I kind of like that that planning aspect. I, I do start to feel like um, <laughs> I start to feel like, you know, quite the crafty old sea dog uh, <laughs> as as I as I lay out my plans. I uh, I I totally see that because when you when you leave fallen london for the first time everything's new everything's like you know covered in black and you don't know where anything is but after you've seen a few islands you start to see with the prices of their trade things for instance and then you create an optimal route where you kind of you're not spending too much supplies or too much fuel or maybe halfway down you'll find a place that sells fuel really cheap so you don't stock up that much and fall in london you get the cheap fuel down somewhere else and then you create a longer route um, and there is there's there is a lot of planning involved if you want to get rich, but you can really play the game with very little money. It just makes it a bit more challenging. Can I go back to something that uh, that you guys said? The um, I think Julian said something about the fail state. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to me that uh, you know you have this sort of this great text that kind of flows through the game, but it's hitting you at these very different points, sort of emotional points. For example, like a fail state, you fail at something, you die, and oh, here's this text you get to read. And I just wonder how you feel about like sitting there reading the text versus, okay, fine, I, I died, I got to you know click back and restart this whole thing again. Um, do you find that the sort of the rhythms of the game being a game interfere with that? Um, I mean, you always have that sort of thing, you know, throughout any game where you're just trying to click on, you know, keep going, keep going. Of course, this game has the, the text as being a big, uh, I mean, it's focused on the text. But I just wonder how some, sometimes uh, you might enter into these situations where the text is either more or less effective because of where it puts you in the game. Do you, do you mean the, um, so when, when you've actually died, it gives you that little kind of bit of flavor text about how you die like what happens and things like that yeah. is that what mm -hmm. you mean yeah so i i really like that i feel that because death is like a part of the game i think that it needs to be given like a bit of focus so actually like being mm -hmm. able to almost enjoy your death mm -hmm. um because it yeah. creates an interesting story um and not even just that, that moment where you actually die but the build-up because usually when you die, it's because of a series of unfortunate events. Like you've already yes. lost half your crew because of like weird ghosts or the anger of an elder god or something. Um, 
and and it feels like when you get that text at the end, that's the last chapter or the epilogue, you know, of of your journey, um, and it feels like a fitting end. Something dramatic always happens. Um, yeah. You never die because even when you die of starvation, it's done like often the crew will mutiny before they starve to death um, and you'll be flung overboard and you, that's where you'll die. Um, there's always a story to it. And I think that skipping through that and just to get to the next life, I, I don't want to say it would miss the point because everyone plays games a bit differently. But for me, I would I feel like I'd be missing out a lot of the, the enjoyment I get from the game. You agree, Julian? Yeah, I agree completely. I think that this, I, again, I go back to King of Dragon Pass, where if you play it like World of Warcraft, believing that the text doesn't matter, um, there's, I mean, there's an interesting game here. There's a system to be optimized. Um, as you said, you know, Rob, you know, being a crafty sea captain and figuring out the right paths and all that stuff. There's, there's enough there that it's satisfying without it, but you're missing what actually makes this game interesting and special. Um, and, and it's, whether it's quest text or whether it's, um, even, even some of the, you know, you get a new captain and there's this process of, um, what you're going to hand down, like even those little tidbits are so beautifully written and so finely crafted. None of this is accidental, right? This is a real work of craftsmanship by a really good writing writer or writing team. I have no idea who made this game. I, I individually, it's a, it's a team um, of writers. They yeah, said it took and, six six people two years to write two hundred and fifty thousand words. That seems about right. You know, um, it makes me excited if there's that much text in here. Um, because it's really satisfying and it's really well written and I want to learn more about it. You know, I don't find it's a game I'm going to sit down and play for three hours, right. but it's, man, is it a perfect game to play for 25 minutes, Yes, <laughs> you know, totally. and, and consume a bunch of story and then think about it and then sit back with a brandy and, and, you know, <laughs> ponder the meaning of life, you know, <laughs> you, you know, it's interesting. I, I was starting to play it as, um, early on, it was working pretty well. I would, I, it was sort of a my, one session. I would make one cargo run. I take to see, make a loop, come back. I'd be done but i'm at a point now where i can extend my journeys long enough that like at this point the one the one run rule has had me sitting playing this game for like two hours straight because like i just keep you know stumbling across another place full of cheap fuel and then there's a new place where an adventure is unlocked i've never seen it before and oh my goodness if i go to this place then i'll get some extra money because i took this this passenger and uh it's it's definitely become a game where um it still feels bite-sized. I sit down, I'm like, okay, I'm going to set up from Fallen London and do a couple things. It's going to be no problem. And then, like, I, you know, I come back to Fallen London and I come out of my office and I look at the clock and I'm like, oh, no, it's it's <laughs> two in the morning. <laughs> D- despite the, the kind of the sinister stuff going on in the undersea, I, I also find it very relaxing. Um, totally. Um, the act of, of, of sailing, uh, more than anything, just sometimes I've actually, I found myself, um, as much as I love the stories, I've just, I've just decided, you know what, I'd like, you know, for this captain to have a much better ship. So for the next hour, I'm just going to be all about earning money. Mm-hmm. And I will put the TV on and I'll turn the mm-hmm. sound down a little bit, which I'm hesitant to do because the audio is actually, the, the soundtrack's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's one of my favorite um, things about the game. It, it's it's brilliant and very effective but you yeah. know I'll, I'll turn it down a little bit and i'll just watch some tv and just maybe do a couple of trade routes and, and get a little bit money and i just find it absolutely lovely yeah. um and then if some if i do come across something new a story or something i'll turn the tv off crank the volume back up and i'll just be back into it as i normally would be 
I want to circle yeah. back to something Bruce mentioned a few minutes ago, though, because because Fraser, you were talking about sometimes you just sort of check in, do a couple cargo runs, you you, have, mm. you sort of have somebody on the background. And what, Bruce, what you're talking about, where are there moments when um the drive of the game sort of interfere with maybe the pace of the story or the impact right. of the story? Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I haven't found that uh, in the case of when I've died because, like Fraser said, and I, I think you nailed it, Fraser, like. If, if something goes wrong, it's usually because of a propagating series of disasters that usually mm-hmm. kick up some interesting storylets along the way. And that becomes a really interesting narrative of, of how your your journey went so wrong. Where I do sort of... I think it's almost a presentation issue uh, sometimes hmm. with the text because I do find when I'm just sort of going to various ports of call and doing adventures there... Sometimes I have to stop myself from just clicking through the next thing and my eyes immediately sort of jump down to the options, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just checking out, like, do I satisfy these requirements? Do I blah, blah, blah? What are my odds? And I realize, like, wait, I actually have no idea where I really am or what I'm doing. Uh, And then I have to sort of stop and and, and go back and reread the quest text. And I think part of it, like I said, is is a presentation issue because they made a decision with this game uh, to, even when you're in port, uh, you're 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 interacting with a story through your uh, gazetteer, and that only occupies probably you know a quarter of your screen real estate, and the rest of it is is still the map view, and, and it's sort of I, almost like by putting by by sort of packing all this info into this this tiny part of the frame, uh, it it just it it makes it a little too easy to sort of skim over the text. Yeah, that's and, very yeah, I agree. That's very, very perceptive. Um, I, I wondered why they decided they were going to put everything down in that corner. And and interestingly enough, Rob, you know, the, I feel like they've done something where they they decided that they were never going to give you a screen that just had text on it. There was something yes. always, you know, you, you, you can always make a decision, right? And it, I, I understand the point and I understand the design decision, but I'm wondering if exactly what, because what you say happens to me, that does happen to me, and I'm playing it in a, in a way where I, I really want to read the text, right? But I just naturally go click, and they're like, "Oh yeah, okay, now I'm gonna." Oh, hold, hold on, there's that line. I got. Let me read what's up there, and I yep. want to read what's up there. So even for someone like me who really, I mean, I've totally bought into this, right? I mean, I I, I knew what the game was about. I knew Fall in London. There was there was never any question for me. Oh, you know, there's going to be a lot of reading this game. I don't know that I want to do that. No, I I, I was was totally sold from day one about what they were going to do with this game and even then i'm like trying to kind of catch myself and go back so so um so yeah it it just shows you how once you get that the the idea the iterations of gameplay can can completely overwhelm the um sort of the presentation uh intention um if you if you let it and and you know i think that if you had just if they had put a a um just that text before the decisions as its own separate screen yep. it would have been completely different but like then a storybook you know, layout where like left you know left page is just story and right hand is is maybe giving you your options mm-hmm. or something but yeah, yeah. I, I definitely i'm doing exactly what you're doing bruce where like i hit i hit a place and my eyes jump down to my options, and then I have to remind myself to go back and read the thing that set up the choice. Right, right. 
it, it gets even worse in the logbook. I mean, I don't know whether you guys read the logbook. There's a logbook in the lower left all the time that's yeah. got, you know, it's every tiny. passing day. <laughs> yeah. And there is sometimes very funny and sometimes very useful information in that logbook that does not exist anywhere else. Right. And if you're just ignoring that, you're both missing really interesting story beats um, mm-hmm. and some of the only humor in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're also missing actual vital information sometimes, which I find interesting. There's a well, bit I- of flavor that you get, like when um, when you're coming into to fall in London back home. Uh, you, if you look at the logbook, there will yep. often be that the sailors are all along the railings looking at the lights of fallen London, and it kind of creates that sense of homecoming. Um, but that shows up, doesn't it? That shows up elsewhere. That shows yeah, up when no, I'm coming in. Yeah, but that's an, that's only on the little um, the little log on the bottom right hand side. That's where it says it. Uh, says it. So Is if it? you aren't oh, looking, yeah. yeah. So hmm. if you aren't looking at that, you'll miss it. But I've kind of trained myself, I guess, to to look because there's there's a lot of of nice things. But I well, think the, maybe the, what you guys the, would prefer is if there was like um when you hit a port, instead of it opening up your uh, gazetteer or your journal, if it was like a, maybe a, almost like a map of the port, and it was like a new scene, would do you think that would kind of encourage you to just kind of pay more attention? I. I don't know. That's a good question. See, the, the one thing I do like about what they've done is that I'm always looking at that map. So I have a very, mm-hmm. very well-developed sense of place with that map. And one of the things that I don't like about um, – one, one of the great things about – and since Julian mentioned is King of Dragon Pass is that the presentation is is consistent. So there there aren't things that, that sort of exist that look like placeholders, right? Mm-hmm. The if you had a port that was just the port, but you couldn't go anywhere in it, it would feel it would be discordant with the the idea of the map that you have, where you can go all over that map, right? But the, but the if you then show me a picture of the port itself, but I'm just kind of looking at it and it's just like this background, then it's almost reinforcing to me. Oh, look at this pretty little you know pretty little background. It doesn't have anything to do with anything. Um, and then here's the text. So. I guess I just wonder why the text isn't bigger and sort of takes up more of the screen and whether that was a a, 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 um, a deliberate decision to sort of reinforce the the game map all the time, which would be an interesting decision, or frankly, whether that is an uh, artifact of their engine that they used for Fall in London. Because, I mean... It is basically exactly the same thing, right? I mean, it looks yeah. almost the same. And I wonder if they said, oh, we're just going to use the... F-. I mean, they have to s- decide how they're, they're going to allocate the I, resources. I just sort of read it as... And obviously, we're, we're, we're sort of speculating about yeah. what, what Failbetter's intent was. What are they and, thinking? Like, right? exactly. You know, obviously, we, like, it'd be good to have an actual answer from the horse's mouth. Right. Uh, I just sort of assumed it was a sensitivity to the fact this game already plays enough like a text adventure mm-hmm. that possibly they didn't want to sort of give up the game and mm-hmm. just have text adventure interface pop up when you're in port. So yeah. that any screenshot anyone ever takes is going to show this map and then a little bit of text off in the corner. And right. it's, you know what I mean? It's going to look maybe a little more dynamic than hmm. it actually is. Yeah. I do think as well, a lot of, I think a lot of the players will be um, fallen London fans that have played the, the browser game extensively. Um, and so this is very much what they're used to because in fallen London, uh, it was a lot less animated, obviously. You just had the map of Fallen London, but it was still quite detailed. 
um, and it gave a kind of good sense of place. But you always kind of had that map there. Um, so and and kind of smallish text, depending on your browser, really. Though, and I mean, when I'm playing uh, Sunless Sea on my on my regular PC, I don't really have a problem with the size of the text. But I often play it on my laptop, just on the couch, um, and it's it's just a little bit too small for me, and I kind of have to strain to to read, especially the logbook text. Um, yeah. I kind of have to peer in closely, and maybe kind of adjust my glasses a little bit, start looking like my dad. <laughs> Well, I think that the you know the the reading. I really loved what Julian said uh, before about how he sort of you know plays the game and sort of with a with a bourbon or whatever and thinks about the meaning of life um, because <laughs> it really does feel to me more like um, almost more like a like a good book than a game. And I mean, it does seem like a game, but I guess the point is that people have complained about the combat, and I'm one of them. Yeah, and I don't agree with that criticism because i don't want any more game in this game uh i love the degree to which they've integrated everything around this text and um you know i i kind of played a little differently i don't have a lot of time to play games unfortunately and so when i'm playing i don't get to play for more like you know i might, might play the game for 30 minutes every four days or you know three days and and um you know i sit down and and get a chance to just and i really concentrate on the text and i do the same thing it's kind of a contemplative thing i sort of go through i i read all the text i kind of muse on it and 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 if i had some very complicated combat in that it would take me out of that experience so that i would all of a sudden start to have to you know minimize and maximize all sorts of different combat mechanics that really aren't the point of my playing and so the very simple combat for me works great. I mean, it's it's as simple as the other decisions in the game. So it's com- perfectly consistent. Um, and I know that other people pl- who play it differently are going to disagree because they want as much complexity or, or more complexity. I'd be interested, Rob, in, in, in what you would like to see in the combat itself. All right. So I think my problem with the combat is just it followed too much of a predictable pattern for me. Like if it's going to be in the game then I expect it to be maybe adding a little more than it is, right? And, like, I, it doesn't necessarily need to be, say, like, Sid Meier's Pirates, where you're selecting what shot you're putting out and, like, sort of targeting and constantly microing the fight. Though, honestly, I kind of like that form of ship combat. I wouldn't mind it here. What I didn't like in this game was that way too often uh, I would just sort of get behind an enemy, sit there behind them where they couldn't strike back, and then I just wait for my cannon just to tick off enough damage until they died and they picked up loot. And then the creature AI tends to get like hung up on things like buoys, rocks, uh, just sort of get hopelessly turned around, very easy to kite. And so then you've already got a slow-paced game. And then the combat is really one of the few areas where maybe it's a little more, things should maybe be a little more fraught, the pacing should be a little faster. Uh, And instead what it turns into is um, sort of like old school EverQuest, where you're just sort of sitting there pulling a mob, Hmm. whacking it to death, grabbing, grabbing whatever you want from it, and then you move on and wait to do it again. And that, like, you know, it's not... You just don't like the AI. I didn't, I didn't like well, the, the AI well, sort of not, being there's not much to the system. There's yeah. also not, there's not much to the system at all. That's but true. That's Did fine. you guys I play in Early Access? Because the combat no. system was different in our, uh, the yes, beginning of Early Access. Yep. And mm-hmm. maybe, because I actually 
uh, just like Bruce, I quite like the the combat in Sunless Sea. It, it's it's never something that I would like bring up in a conversation about Sunless Sea because it was mm-hmm. so and sorry. But you right. know, it was fine for for it was what I wanted uh, for that for that style of game. But originally, it was almost turn based, not actually, but it, right. it basically pits you in this in it, you're stationary fighting the monster opposite you, yeah. and then you have to illuminate them mm-hmm. to a certain amount. And then fire, and then hope that that gets it, or maybe. And so they kept all the illumination and the firing cooldowns, but then they made it a little bit more dynamic by giving you full control of your ship during the battle. And I think that was such a that was actually such a big leap that I uh, I found that to be very enjoyable because I was I guess automatically comparing it to how the combat was at first, which was kind of crap actually yeah it um, was it was tedious oh my gosh that was tedious yeah well because it takes you out of the game doesn't it it's, it's the yep. only time that it actually gives you a new screen mm-hmm. um and it's not very nice and it, everything's very static and it doesn't feel like ship combat at all whereas at least with the the the, the new system the system they went live with um you have f- full control of your ship and there's a little bit of strategy you know trying to you've, you've always got to try and kind of loop around mm-hmm. and it's also about when deciding when to turn your lights on Mm-hmm. as well because a lot of the time the creatures of the sea won't really spot you or certainly won't get aggressive towards you um when your lights are off you're kind of but that increases terror when you don't have the, the lights on so there's always a risk and i think there's there's that tiny bit of nuance to it so that it does mean you have to think about it a little bit but it's you know it's secondary to the the adventure of of kind of going through all these stories and uh, getting into these strange new places like mangrove forests and things like that yeah. um it doesn't take up too much time and you just get to the the stuff that i think most players would prefer i agree yeah. I'm, I'm on board julian yeah i think i i think the combat's just enough right i mm-hmm. think it, you know and i think you know you certainly pick up items um which you can either buy and fall in london or you pick them up along the way that actually give you all sorts of interesting little strategic choices to make i mean it is a very simple uh combat system i don't want to oversell it but you know you get the guy who what the rat who solves all your hull yeah, problems little, or the little tiny rat <laughs> so know, adorable. who runs around <laughs> and doing stuff where you get these sort of magic stones that that let you get your guns going faster um or these sort of one-shot weapons and i mean I, there's you know you can end up with a really interesting state of your ship from a combat perspective which actually which actually makes you feel like you know what? I'm a badass. I need to go out there and chase down the big pirates or the whatever the giant sea monster is that has 200 health that you can never kill. Um, you know, and and that's kind of fun. And that can be a whole different run of that captain to be like, oh, I guess I'm running, making a badass captain run where I'm going to go blow everything up until you die. And then you come back and you'll be like, well, this time I'm just going to be a merchant. I'm going to get extra hold and all that kind of stuff. And that's something that's encouraged. You can play because uh, there's the uh, the iron statistic is your attack uh, stat, um, but you can also use it for other things and stories. Um, so it encourages you to play as an aggressive, uh, tough, uh, badass captain, which is nice because you don't normally feel like a badass in Sunless Sea. You usually feel like you're being victimized by the ocean constantly. So it's nice to just go pirate hunting. Um, once in a while. I don't think it's as fun as just properly exploring and, and, and enjoying the stories, but it is nice to feel powerful, especially when you've got that sh- uh, the, the later ships that have like t- uh, two guns on them, so you can really start doing some serious damage. So I, I will say, like, 
you know, it, it's, it's a difficult thing because I think if you change the combat to be a little more like what I want, I'm not sure the entire game balances out the same way. Uh, because one of the things that I can do right now is I can usually trust that a combat will turn out okay. You know what I mean? If I see like a, a uh, you know, a, a rat war barge out there at sea, I can usually trust myself. That I can, if I, you know, I'll turn off my running lights, come up behind them, open fire. They'll probably never get a shot off. Uh, except if I screw up and maybe make a slight mistake, you know, they do a couple hits and suddenly I'm at half health. And at that point, a lot of interesting things start happening, right? Because your ship is hobbled. You're now everything takes longer. Now food is going to become an issue when it wasn't before because you're stuck out at sea longer. And a lot of interesting things happen and flow from that because the combat is sort of just simple enough and just easy enough that it, it sort of encourages you to say, ah, what the hell, take the risk and try and kill this monster or, um, you know, ambush these pirates. And so it, it's, it's, it's an odd thing because definitely the simplicity of the combat and, to be frank, sort of the ease of the AI uh, and the way it helpfully it sort of helps you murder it um that actually contributes to the overall flow of the game and the way you sort of assess risk and reward while you're out at sea most like like with a lot of things in this game most of the time things won't entirely blow up in your face it's you'll be able to manage the risks but occasionally it will go off under your feet like a landmine and that's actually when sunless sea gets super interesting I think there's a, a, a degree of kind of trying to make it accessible as well. I mean, even though Sunless Sea is kind of a, a a tough game, a lot of that isn't really because of player skill. It's simply a, a, a tough world that you're you're um, sailing through. Um, but I think so many of the people coming from, say, Fallen London, they're not. A lot of them aren't really gamers. They don't play. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people who play Fallen London who don't play on their PC at all. Otherwise. Um, and maybe don't even play on consoles. They they like Fall in London because they enjoy the storytelling, hmm. um, and they don't even really see it as a game. Um, so if they're presented with uh, this, I guess almost like a sequel to Fall in London, because that's really what Sunless Sea is, um, with these kind of in-depth, complicated combat mechanics, when they're used to choosing text options. I think that might be a bit much, and then these kind of original fans would maybe feel like they've been kind of ignored in favor of a more hardcore PC audience. And I don't know if that's the case at all, but it it would certainly make sense trying to appeal to the sort of people who played Fall in London. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I never really thought about uh, who played Fall in London. Um, you know, it's sort of it's kind of um, uh, polarizes gamers. Uh, mm. People don't call it. Some people say it's really not a. They're just like, hey, it's not a game. It's more of a story. Um, but uh, I like that, and I like this. Like uh, whoever said it at the beginning is really uh, Rob. I think was that your point that uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna make a game for anybody, uh, you, you've really made it for us, the the, the four of us. Um, and I think all of us really kind of appreciate the ways in which this is different, and uh, we're able to sort of a give uh give it a break in terms of its uh you know we see why the the less complex systems are are less complex for a reason i actually had a question uh, uh bruce like so obviously like there's a garrick scalpel 
in the world uh and there's a lot of other familiar names out mm-hmm. there in the world mm-hmm. as well there's gators morn uh there's kapalka's cove uh mm-hmm. things like that there's a lot of game writers uh mm-hmm. popping up at various mm-hmm. places this in this world yeah. uh and, and i'm curious uh you know first like why the hell is there an island named after your scalpel uh and, and, and second <laughs> what do we mean by that, that too uh, <laughs> but 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 also like um what was your background with Fail Better? Like, were you a Fallen London fan? I really, I really liked Fallen London. I mean, I, I, I had a really good time uh, playing that game. I actually was introduced by, to it by Tom Chick. I don't have any particular background with them. Uh, I had a great time. Uh, Tom and I interviewed them uh, for uh, the Quarter 3 podcast one time. Uh, they were fantastic, very interesting, clearly very uh, intelligent, erudite, and obviously good writers. Um, great writers. Um, but I mean, there's no particular. I don't have particular background on that. The, I'm I'm in the game because of the Kickstarter. Um, there was a well, that was one of the um, uh, what do you call it? Backer awards. Backer awards. Uh, yeah. And um, the, you know they so I thought oh that'd be kind of neat. So I I did that and then um, they sent a uh, like a thing out to all those to the backers saying you know what would you like to have named after you you know what do you like, uh, you know, it just, there was a list of things like an outcropping of rock, or would you like, uh, you know, uh, an undersea cave or something like that. And there was one of the choices was, uh, I don't care, just make me famous. So, (laughs) so, and so, and so I clicked on that. And then, so I had no input into what they were going to name after me or, or, or what they would call it. So I thought it was actually, that was very, uh, it was very nice and very clever to uh, decide that my scalpel would be the thing that they wanted to. Uh, I mean, they had I had no input into it at all. I simply did the the Kickstarter and then um, said, "Hey, do what you want to do," and they decided that would be it, and that's great. I will say, I will say, well, one uh, Alexis Kennedy did send me a very nice message um, uh, when I did back the Kickstarter, saying he had been reading uh, my stuff um back since you know he named an article that i had written a long time ago which made it clear that he was familiar with my work uh, for a long time which it was very very nice of him i really appreciated his comment he didn't need to uh, say anything when um i backed it but uh the the, the fact that i actually became uh was named was is solely a, a, a backer reward uh, issue you've been immortalized in the undersea which That's is right. quite cool <laughs> so Julian, you said something a while ago about how the 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 captain's log in the lower left hand corner is actually one of the you said one of the few places there's there's humor in the game. Curious if you misspoke or do you not find that there's a lot of humor throughout this game? I there have been a few places. Um, the guinea pig uh, battle being <laughs> one of the the most notable one. Um, but but I actually um, I don't find it that it, it's not that funny or self-aware funny i guess is what i mean but like my favorite one is when you cross the you know the you're in a big map which i think is in nine or 12 big squares um and everything on the left side of the map where you start is pretty much fixed although there can be some variation and then as you get further out to the right things can be in fairly different places um unless you've got that sort of legacy map that lets you take the map from your previous game um and uh, you know when you cross, I, I looked down once as I crossed one of the imaginary lines, and it says something to the effect of "You get the strange feeling that you've just crossed a line against which there's no going back," or something like that. Which <laughs> you know I just thought was like really funny. And I've only seen it once. It doesn't happen every time you cross yeah. a line. 
Um, and so there have been those little bits of it, but I actually have found more of them in that lower left-hand corner than I have in, in some of the main text. Um, it, certainly a lot of it's quirky, uh, but not much of it is that sort of self-aware wink and nod humor, which I tend to really like. It's odd, but it's not comedy. Um, I think that because there are things that I find kind of humorous. There's the island. And I think I'm, I'm going to spot it because Rob already mentioned it in his review, I think. But it's the, the postman. Nuncio. Uh, island, yes. Um, no, I did get a, a good couple of chuckles out of that working with the little rat postman. Um, I, I, I think most of the, 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 uh, the funny bits in the game deal with rats it seems, because uh, you've also got the rat shipwrights in yeah. Fallen London itself. They're pretty much um, the best. Yeah, they're, they're, it's, I think Fallen London and, and Sunless Sea is very much pro-rat. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I, I just, it's an interesting, it's an interest balance, interesting balance, and maybe it is a bit like um, this is sort of where the, the Neil Gaiman-esque uh, nature of it comes into play, or um, a bit of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, uh, where a lot of it I find is is sort of humorous and whimsical and odd, and usually that's how things sort of first present themselves. But like every like if if there's one thing I think that sort of thematically ties the world of Fallen London together, it's that things are sort of humorous and odd at first. Up front, there's there's sort of a whimsical strangeness to it. But if you scratch the surface and dig a little deeper, uh, the strangeness just keeps getting stranger. And usually you you. you that you uncover a degree of menace behind every single sort of funny thing you find in the world. And I actually, I'm kind of addicted to that. I'm kind of, I'm kind of addicted to this feeling of you go to, you go to a place in, in sunless sea and at first it seems like a, fu- a funny twist to the mundane, you know, a, a play on something we've all seen before and a bit of observational humor about, you know, social mores or, uh, you know, or the the way um you know a society is structured, and then it gets a little darker, and that gets a little darker still the longer you you spend time there. And I I kind of I I enjoy that I enjoy that sense of there all there being a monster you know there being a monster under every bed. I think um it sort of and I th- I mentioned it before it reminds me a little bit um of. Pratchett, not for the the comedy, but the the weirdness and the whimsy uh, and the way it plays on, like you said, Rob, the kind of the mundane, and then cr- turns it into something weird and almost unrecognizable. Um, but I think it really it pulls from a lot of different writers, and it kind of goes back to what we we're saying. It, it's like a game for writers and and people who love words and and stories. Uh, so uh, you know, as as we wind down here, uh, it, it, you know, it seems like it, it, it seems like we're all we're all pretty much on board with this. Um, you know, I, I guess I guess I'm curious. I'm I'm curious where you all stand on like is is this a game that once you sort of played through the story, is there anything left here for you? Because I mean, part of part of this game is about repetition. Uh, and, and I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, is, is this more of a, is this more of a linear story for you guys, or is it more of a roguelike that you return to again and again? I, I was gonna say, I don't think I've played enough of it yet where I can call it an old favorite, right? I mean, I, I only just started playing this game, you know, a week ago. Yeah. Um, so, uh, in general, I don't, this is, roguelikes in general are not a genre that appeals to me a ton. Um, so it's been intriguing to have both this and Darkest Dungeon, which is uh, you know a, another PC game, um, 
if coming out at the same time, both with these roguelike qualities and me being into both of them. Um, but you know, I think this is one of those things where I will consume as much story as is there. Uh, and then they promise that they're going to drop more story out. I don't know how that, I don't know how you consume that without playing the whole game all over again, but I'm intrigued yeah. by that as well. It actually fell better has, uh, they've already added some new storylines into it. I think since launch, um, and you simply, uh, I think download them and I'm pretty sure that they're in the current game that you have. Um, that they're loaded into that world. I'm not 100% sure, though. You, but, I you mean, click the important new stories button, and yeah. it holds for a few minutes while it updates everything. And then it Yeah, so I think it updates the world for you that, that you're already in. Um, and and I, I think I'm going to keep going back until Failbetter decide that they aren't going to add more stories, and I, I don't see them getting tired of writing stuff yeah. for it uh, anytime soon. Uh, since that's what they've been doing for years and years. Yeah, I, th- I think that the game... Um, I mean, I'm I'm not really sure I'm ever going to get through the whole story. So I don't know that the story is... That I'm ever going to come back to the story and go, gosh, I've played through this whole thing. Now what am I going to do? Because if, if I get to that point, then I've... I mean, I've spent far more time... Yeah, far more time <laughs> in the game that I'm, I've spent on most games in my life. So... Um, well, I may be not sure. It's in as, as much as I've spent on many other games in my life. But um, uh, I just find the whole game such a just such a, a pleasant experience in, in total. I mean, um, Fraser actually mentioned the, um, uh, the the soundtrack, which is which is so wonderful. Um, I love the experience of listening to that soundtrack and playing through the game and watching the text and not being confounded by super complicated systems and thinking about everything. Uh, what my plans are going to be, and then having all that backed up by the the interesting little tidbits uh, that go through the game as I explore the map and everything. So I and I and I find frankly the, the act of sailing just very pleasurable with that with that um, uh, with that soundtrack. I think it's a very I think it's an excellently paced game for people like me. Now, how many people like me are actually out there? And you probably not going to make a whole lot of money selling to people just like me, but. Um, uh, I, I I really don't have uh, any of the standard complaints about this game that I think some other people do. I, I think the the pacing is one place where I think you could have a legitimate complaint, especially if you've if you've had a bad run with a first captain. I think you can end up in a it not it's not a sort of an unusable state, but you can end up in a pretty deep hole, um, which is I think a common roguelike problem. Um, and I'm not sure there's a magic way around it. Um, I, I don't find it as unenjoyable <laughs> as I think some people do to, to dig yourself out of that hole. I mean, Rob, you sort of said you didn't really want to have to replay all this stuff. So I get that. Without being too crude, it's actually quite fun to get in those holes. Um, it's, <laughs> I, I kind of, I don't think there are that many situations unless you are out at sea with no fuel and no supplies. And a lot of that is maybe, you know, the captain's fault for not stocking up or oh, yeah. planning the route. And it's like, the game is meant to be quite challenging and you are meant to die. So it would be really weird if, if you couldn't get in these holes where a fail state was impending. Um, and I think they create their own little fun stories as well. Right. Yeah, and, and I actually had one captain where I basically, I think it wasn't my first one, but it might have been my second one, where uh, I effectively got to the point where I was stuck in fallen London and I had nothing worth trading and, uh, <laughs> and and couldn't really afford to keep my ship up and, you know, pretty much just had to retire. Sell it wasn't that weapons. I was dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, I couldn't, I couldn't do much of anything at that point, um, which is sort of an interesting position to find yourself in. Mm. 
you know, that's not often in a game where you just sort of end up in a, well, I guess I just have to retire. Something we'll see, teaching us, teaching us all a little something about life and knowing when to hang it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's, it's not exactly the most, uh, joyous. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I definitely, um, <laughs> Fraser, so I, that, now I can't say the word like getting in those holes. I can't say it without like like some like creeper. But like I enjoy getting in those those dilemmas. Um, mm. But uh, I, I think I think for me the sunless sea is at its best when things are going well, but maybe not too well. You know what I mean? When the when the decks are being stalked by nightmares and uh, you know there's and and one like. One of the gods uh, has it in for me. I think that's that. That's when uh, Sunless Sea is is at its best uh, for me. And uh, certainly, I also enjoy things like you know chatting up my officers and discovering what makes <laughs> each of them tick. And there's some delightful characters and and, and weirdos you can meet along your journeys. Um, Plus the ferret. <laughs> oh god, the ferret! Yes, you got to get rid of the comatose ferret right off mm. the bat, man. He's the worst mascot in the game. But if you get the cat, you can no longer work with rats. I'm not sure if you noticed that. Like, oh, that, I haven't seen that. I didn't know, it, that's see, that's just so awesome. It's like historically yeah. accurate too. So I just and, it's, <laughs> and it's like not even if it's assigned as your mascot. Just if you have the cat, and um, the rats will not work with you uh, and fix your ship because they're terrified uh -huh. of. I think it's called the wretched mog. Oh, um, that's okay. Yeah, that thing. Okay, you get that. It, yeah, that's a and cat. That, it's a cat, yeah. yeah. Okay, I, I, didn't, I didn't pick it up at, at a <laughs> port because I didn't want a thing called a wretched mug. Uh, and I'm really dying to know what happens when I put a blemish in ashore. Uh, the, game, the game keeps putting options in front of me like, do you just... Do you just want to put a blemming in a shore? <laughs> it's just like I'm getting the sense that like putting a blemming in a shore is the ultimate like f you to a yeah. port, and I'm kind of dying to see what happens when I get a blemming yeah. and drop it on someone I don't like because I got a few places that have a blemming coming their way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the inventory, I gotta say that the the items in the inventory in this game seem like where there's just an endless amount of variety because I, you go to some far off port. And they're selling like 60 things you've never heard of before. And yes. you know, at some point you're going to want those things, but they're like, you go to some port and there's one of something and it costs 600 echoes, which is the currency in the game. And you're like, what could possibly like, you know, and at some point that's going to be like a win state. You got to deliver one of those MacGuffins to somebody across the map. And, and I find that all kind of entertaining. Well, and this is, and this thing, I think it is sort of where I get the sense that like, I played this game for I've played this game quite a bit over the past few weeks and I'm still not entirely sure whether I've done more than scratch the surface because definitely like I've started, you know, the things I was trading in to start with, I'm no longer trading in. The kind of routes I was running to start, I'm no longer running. I'm I'm sort of moving up in the world as it were. And um bit by bit those higher value items and those those exotic goods uh from abroad uh, the game starts pushing me in in those directions, and and it's been really interesting to suddenly be told like, I've got to go to a place called um, Irem, uh, somewhere at the the far end of the world, to get some things that I've I've never seen before in the world. I'm not sure what they're for. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's definitely. I don't know how big this game is really, and I've I've sort of been. Um, this is a game where I've not allowed myself to look at a wiki. Uh, because I just, uh, you know, I mean, there's a few questions I have about quests and everything. I just, I, I, I am, I'm happier, I think, groping through the dark with this game uh, than than I am sort of, you know, figuring out how it all works. Yeah, I think I agree. 
It's it's because of the I mean it's like a book. I mean I'm not gonna yeah. go to the end of the book and find out. Oh, that guy died. Page seventy eight. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, we'll forget it. Then. Um, all right, so I think we'll, we'll we'll leave it there. You can buy Sunless Sea for uh, about twenty dollars on Steam. I think it's like nineteen dollars uh, on Steam, and um, it's it's just been a fantastic. It's been one of those games where I I, I was pretty sure I would like it before I started playing it. I certainly didn't think it would become like a you know twenty hour a week game. Uh, the way it's become, but it's, I just I can't seem to quite put it down. Yep, total agreement here. I think we're all in agreement. Yep. So hi, highly recommended. Uh, definitely, definitely worth uh, worth playing and enjoying. And it's just one of the most. Um, it, it's 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 a distilled atmosphere that you just get to <laughs> you just get to you know drink up. Uh, every mm-hmm. time you fire up the game, and I've, I, I'm I'm not sure there's there's many games games that have done that done that as well. Uh, so that's Sunless Sea. That's a uh, high recommendation from from those of us here at the panel. Uh, and the only people I think you know who who wouldn't like it are uh, I guess I guess I guess they just they can't read people it. without discerning taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much Philistines. Yeah. Illiterates. <laughs> yep. All right. So that does it for Sunless Sea. Uh, we'll be back next week with, I think, um, I think a war game uh, of some sort. And Bruce Ooh. and I, we, sh- we should talk a little bit yeah, uh, after that'd the show. Be awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but until then, uh, why don't you fire up Sunless Sea and uh, go put a blemming in the shore somewhere? Until <laughs> next week, this has been Three Moves Ahead. Good night. Good night. Night. Good night, gamers.